Give me the Johnny Carson countdown. <laughs> One, two, three. Is that it? I don't know the Johnny Carson. Are we in? We're in. Oh, wait. Good afternoon. Hi, guys. Hi. Scripted narrative. We've got a new guest. Yes, we do. That our good friend uh, David Armstrong brought back. Hi, guys. So we're going to let you introduce him. Very simply, is my friend Tony Richmond. Hey, hey. So, Tony, Tony, welcome. Welcome. Fast friends over the years. How are you doing? Great. So, thanks for being here. One of my first questions was going to be Tony, have have you ever heard of a podcast? But we already talked about it, so now he's already heard. Well, of I've podcast. heard of it. Um, I've heard of them. I've never only heard one, which is the one you did with David. Nice. What'd you think? I thought it was pretty good. Entertaining, right? He's very entertaining. Yeah, rather amusing. <laughs> I got. But David's a very funny guy. He is, and the storytelling is fantastic. He's got a great raconteur. <laughs> yep. Raconteur. I, I am in That's the shadow word. of storytelling, but, with Tony. <laughs> but most cinematographers are not great raconteurs. Oh. What's a raconteur? I have no idea what that is. What's a raconteur? It's the front end of your car where you stew. <laughs> Sorry, that, ladies that, and gentlemen, that's, that's a rack and pinion. Oh, <laughs> oh See, sorry. Uh, clarification. Wow. Yeah. All right, so let's let's. Well, get... what is a raconteur? Yeah, yeah, Someone well... just tells stories. Oh, oh okay. Constant tells stories. He is a good storyteller. Yeah. Uh, got a lot of great, great comments on your your podcast. Oh. Yeah, people really enjoyed it. Uh-huh. Yeah, you have your well, you're a wealth got... of knowledge. Oh, but my friend. Sorry, <laughs> have I got some stories? <laughs> oh, before we, we get going, we're, uh, Kreppel and I are going camping next yeah. weekend. Pro- yeah, probably going to postpone Thursday. It looks like rain, so yeah. we'll just come in Friday. Cool. So we'll be rolling in early Saturday. Yeah, yeah. which yeah. which brings to mind, you you love camping, don't no, you, don't. Tony? I mean, you, when you say camping, <laughs> are you actually going <laughs> to? I fucking hate it. I, no, I really loathe. <laughs> That's it. what he said. To I love it. He loathes. <laughs> he looked. He heard me say the word camping the other day, and he just stopped and looked at me and said, "Are you?" fucking crazy <laughs> but, but you're not going in tents though are you no no i have a nice old little steel trailer yeah it's still ap- gonna be cold he has an apocalyptic it's, trailer it's luxury and what do you eat how do you cook <laughs> what do you i eat? bring valerie <laughs> oh my god it sounds she cooks it sounds fucking dreadful it's awesome <laughs> it is i, I love think it's gonna camping. be pouring with rain it's, it's just gonna be dreadful yeah, but oh, it, it is going to be raining when you guys go too. Yeah, I'm just it's just Thursday, cozy right? up to Val. We we bought ourselves a 12 volt uh, blanket with a little battery plug on top. Oh, perfect for water. <laughs> yeah, you just you, when you have a camper, camping is not so it's not so bad. But you know, you do if you have a smaller one like you guys do, we, and I have yeah. a smaller one as well. You do kind of get forced outdoors, yeah. but you get a canopy and you just do stuff. I, I, I'm sorry, I, I much prefer five star hotels. Yes, and room service. Yeah, yes. a little spoiled. And, and another people's per diem. There you go. There other you go. people's per diem. So, uh, Tony. Long history, really long IMDb. It's hard to get down that far. It's, it's you're scrolling and you get a cramp. That's how much. <laughs> that's how much you got going true. on there. So, uh, tell us when you first got into it and what inspired you to get into the movie business. Well, um, the thing that inspired I, I loved. To, my father was a taxi driver. We come from a very working class family, but he had two great loves. One was soccer, and the other was movies. And I was lousy at soccer, but he used to take me to the movies once a week. And I just love going to the movies. And I always remember seeing uh, one movie in particular that struck me as being with Shane. And I just loved the photography of Shane. Mm. Just loved it. And I thought, my God, you know, I just, um, I don't know, I'd like to do something like that. But I, you know, and I didn't like school and I left school when I was 15. And I knew no one in the movie business, but somehow I managed to get a job at, um, Pathé News, you know, they used to, you have movie tone news in, I guess, in America and, and Pathé News in England, where all news was shown in cinemas and we made two news a week. 
And I was running up and down Wardour Street carrying cans of film, which is the, the one main street in London, you know, where all the film companies cool. are. And then I used to go out and help the cameramen on big things like um, the cup final or the Grand National or the Queen's birthday or some, you know. And the, the reason they took me was that when they did those things, they had to get there early and set up and then wait. And they'd all go to the pub. So I'd sit there for four hours. But then there was this one guy that came back drunk. His name was Ken Gordon. He's, he's dead now. Um, so I can mention his name. Um, and he was always completely smashed. So he sort, of, he sort of taught me how to do it, you know. Um, and it was a one-man band, you know. So I right. learned to load the camera and hold it and take a light meter reading. And they were excited by that. And eventually they got me a union ticket. And um, they were going to make me a newsreel editor or cutter, as they were called. And I really didn't want to do that. And um, I got a job. But a little studios um, run by the Danziger brothers, uh, who own the Mayfair Casino in London. And I'm sure it was a legitimate casino, but I'm sure they were laundering money somehow. So they, they built this <laughs> studio. And I got a job as a clapper boy in the feature department. And we made one feature every nine days. And what's they, a clapper boy? Uh, well, a second assistant, they're called now. Sounds slate. like, sounds like put, something put the else. Slate in, the second yeah. AC um, here, yeah. Yeah. But we were called clapper loaders. Cool. We loaded the magazines, put the slate in. And assisted the second, the first assistant, and basically you were also a Batman, you know, a, a personal messenger boy for the cinematographer. Mm -hmm. Do his, you know, run his laundry, to the, whatever, right. you know, whatever, <laughs> whatever he said. And um, you know, I managed to progress from there. I mean, to cut that all very short is that I've, I've one thing I've always felt, and I've told this to David many times. There's a lot of incredibly talented people in the movie business, um, both directors and cinematographers, but. You, you need you need a lot of luck and that you yeah. know the, and the luck i think for me was being in the right place at the right time nice and someone got sick on a very big picture at pinewood studios and that was um call me buona a dreadful movie with bob hope and anita ekberg and um, i remember it <laughs> uh, it all took place in africa we shot it in uh, pinewood studios in london and um uh, denham golf course um, and I worked on that for a few days, and then I found out that, that particular cinematographer was going to do from Russia with love, and somehow I got all of his telephone number, and it took me about a week to pluck up courage to call him, because um, you you know in those days cinematographers or DPs, directors of photography were were sort of gods. They right. were gods, you know. Right. Um, and I did call him, and he said, "What the fuck do you want?" And I said, <laughs> "Well, Mister Moore, I hear you're going to do from Russia with love, and I want a job on it." He said, all right, let me think about it. And he put me on the second unit. And that was the start of it. And wow, then, cool. Uh, so know, what does that mean to be on the second unit? Well, there was another unit going. You you, you clean up stuff. You do okay, some action gotcha. stuff. You know, you, you know, um, you went off on your own. You did... Uh, Cars exploding. Plate shots. You know, a lot, a lot of fun stuff. And it was, yeah. So some B-roll and stuff like yeah, that. It yeah, it was really nice and easy. And then we'd sometimes go in and be B-camera, you know. And, that, and let me let me ask you this, Tony. What because uh, this this went by a little bit ago, uh, for the people who don't know um, what it means. But what do you mean when you say you get a light reading? Take a measurement from a light meter. And what are you looking for? The the t the f stop. The correct exposure. The correct exposure. Okay, perfect. So um, so it's not too dark or it's not that's oh, right. blown it's, out. No, just it's just right. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. But that was recent. But all that all that stuff I did uh, with the newsreel camera, they were one man bands, yeah. and it was mostly exterior. You didn't have lights, you know. Right. Um, and then one thing led to another and then, um, you know, I went back to a little studio in London, um, just outside London called Hammer Studios, where they made all the great Hammer horror pictures, the early ones of Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing. I joined them as a clapper loader and I was sort of permanently employed and they would bring in for each movie separate DPs and this is one guy 
John Wilcox that took me under his wing and he said, listen, he said, um, he said, I'm going to go off to Israel and do a picture. I'd like you to come. So we went off to Israel and um, we were on the first unit. And Nicholas Rogue was the director, cinematographer. He was a young DP then on the second unit. And I gravitated towards him and his crew because they were completely wild. <laughs> I mean, you know, they'd party a lot, drank a lot. Uh-huh. These... So how old were you then, by the way? Let's let's get a time um, frame here. Probably, uh, probably 19. 19. Holy 19, cow. Yeah. 19. 20. Wow. That's um, a, I mean, that's a long career. I mean, to start that young. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, how, how, how many people get to start? I started in 1959. Wow. And all in the camera department. Yeah. All I started right. when I was 18. Oh, did yeah. you? Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, and then, you know, about a, six weeks before we left, the, the movie finished, um, Nick said, listen, he said, I'm leaving um, and I'm, I'm going to go do another movie. I can't tell you what it is. I can't take my operator and focus book with me, but I'm surely, gonna, I'm definitely going to take you. Hmm. And I got back from that movie and there was an urgent call from MGM to go and see them. And they were really pissed off because in those days, studios had camera departments right. and people were permanently employed. And um, it was for Dr. Shivago. So I said, how long are we going to be away? And they said, you're going to be away for about 12 weeks. Well, wow. Wow. We, were sh- we shot that for 52 weeks. And after a month, Nick Grove got fired. Um, um, he, Nick had a, an incredible sense of humor and David Lean had absolutely no sense of humor at all <laughs> uh, 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 unless he was unless he was cracking the joke oh, I see and Nick would always you know, Nick really would piss him off and say you know, David would say this is the setup you know yeah. Nick would say well, what about if we you know, we weren't on a 30, but we were on a 40 and we were over here a bit. And David didn't like that sort of thing. So he fired him. He didn't like suggestions. <laughs> so he didn't know. Don't give me any suggestions. And listen, look, make, make no mistake. David Lean was a brilliant director. But mm-hmm. what happened was I really disliked David Lean. And someone told him I disliked him because he fired Nick. So he went out of his way and took me under his wing. And I learned more about filmmaking, I think, than... From, you know, David Lean did this. Yeah. Oh, and I didn't David, know that. and he he was wonderful with me. You know. Uh, yeah. And in those days, you didn't. You know, we probably sometimes did two, three shots a day. Sometimes we didn't shoot at all. You know. Yeah. And um, if you're listening and you're looking up at IMDb, David Lean's, uh, you know, Doctor Zhivago and Lawrence of Arabia. I mean, oh, and, and Oliver Twist and you know many many great iconic. movies. Yeah, yeah the iconic iconics. movie maker and, and a and a real 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 movie maker. I mean, right. brilliant with artists, brilliant with story. And he's, he, did a, he did a wonderful thing. You know, a lot of directors get all uptight with writers and things like that. And David always wanted Robert Bolt with him on the set because he always said um, um, that, you know, if you get into trouble shooting, you cannot shoot your way out of trouble, but you can write your way out of trouble. Oh, nice. And I think that's really uh, nice. You know, one of my favorite, many favorite stories from you, but um, the one where the horses are charging over the snow. Oh, that was fantastic. Yeah, tell us. Um, that's that's a great story. So well, if, you, if you've seen Dr. Zhivago, it's this huge charge of uh, infantrymen on horses in the snow over mm-hmm. this huge flat plain, right? Right, charging, right? And it's just snow everywhere. And it was, yeah, what, what happened? We, 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 um, um, we shot the movie in Soria, Soria and Madrid. They built the Moscow Street in Madrid and the rest of the movie is to be shot up in Soria. I mean, when I say the Moscow Street, we built the city of Moscow, um, Kremlin and everything, and two two working, complete working tram tracks and things like that. It was massive. took them two years to build the set. Um, But we, you know, so we would go backwards and forwards between Madrid and Soria, which is about three hours away. And, um, you know, ever since they kept records, 
there was six feet of snow a year. That year it didn't snow at all. Mm. And that's where they did the Varachino house, if you've seen the movie, The Ice House. And um, it just didn't snow. So we did these very wide shots. Um, or we laid marble dust down and snow blankets but, but, uh, over a huge area. And it looks fantastic. And then... Um, yeah, it's all marble dust. All you marble see them dust. It, and it looks like snow for as right. far as the eye could see. Right. And then we... It's just hundreds of people sprinkling marble dust. So they, wow. sent, they so said, crazy. listen, this is not going to work. Go back to your apartments in Madrid. We'll call you with plans tomorrow. We were told in the camera department, go and pack up the cameras. We're going to Finland. We went within 24 hours. We were shooting in Finland. Wow. wow. But anyway, so to David's story. So there's a scene in the movie where the the um, the Red Army is waiting in the woods, um, um, and they charge out on this frozen lake. And what it was, we did it in the middle of the summer. Um, it wasn't a frozen lake. It was just a piece of land. They just bulldozed everything out right on the edge of the woods, bulldozed it flat. They, I mean, it's huge. They laid eight by four. Um, or four by eight metal plates every now and again, covered them with uh, with grease, and then covered that with snow with with marble dust. So it's in mm. the middle of the summer. So the, the, you see some you see stills. We're all in we're all in um, t-shirts. No, <laughs> no, no, it was so hot. We're no shirts on at all. You know, with these great big cameras, and these these these, these, snow. these guys are all dressed in their woolly. You know, and outfits. suddenly they pull their swords and they charge across this lake full gallop. Oh. And as the horses hit the metal plates, they would slide from under them. Yeah. Oh. And I got to say, the Spanish horsemen were fantastic. Yeah. Not one horse was hurt. Oh, that's Not great. one horse yeah. didn't get up from right. that. And it was just amazing. So, hmm. so that's cool. And we 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 had a we laid a uh, about a um, hundred yards of track for the uh, the um, the uh, for the the, Dolly. Cha the Chapman Titan. Oh. So those tracks were, I mean, I think they came in lengths of about 20 feet, but they were that thick. Because you know how heavy that is. You know? No, Chapman do, uh, do, uh, Titan. Is a, a Titan is a big, it looks like a sort of a tank in some ways with a big craning arm out. So this is a big right. and we track. Were, and and, and 100 yards is long. And we just fly along that track, you know. Yeah. Well, um, today, I know in, the, in our um, social climate, it's very uh, sensitive to... Um, interactions among people. I'm really curious. At 19 years old, what was set life like? Fantastic, great was question. It? Say what you like. Really? Yeah. No, we want you to say what yeah, it was say, like. <laughs> say what? It was really fantastic. I mean, um, you know, you go away on location, and um, I mean, 12 weeks. Do you get to see the place? 52 weeks? Do you actually? Oh yeah. I mean, the great thing about being on location on a movie, if you're you know foreign location is there's always even though you take a crew with you, there's always a huge, a huge element of local crew. I mean, all the electricians and right, Spain, right. Spanish, all the grips. Hmm. I mean the Shavago had a crew of three hundred and forty. Holy crap. And I gotta tell you, students shooting their thesis film have more camera equipment than we had on that movie. Right. We only had four lenses. That's all they were in those days. Uh -huh. Um or four anamorphic lenses. Um and so you get a, you know, you, you're working with local people. You get a flavor of the country. You get a flavor of everything. It was wonderful. It was really wonderful. Yeah, cool. Google but, anamorphic if you don't know. Scope, <laughs> scope, cinemascope. Yeah. Do, do you uh, think it's a lot different now? Or yeah. do you think they still have as much fun as you guys were having? No, you don't have any fun anymore. Yeah. 
No, movie making is very, very serious. And we always had a great deal of fun. Obviously, it was very serious when you were shooting, but there was a lot of camaraderie and a lot of fun and right. a lot of extremely good, but very, very bad behavior. Um, <laughs> very good, oh, very, please tell us. Very good, bad behavior. Um, yeah, I mean, it's really good, bad behavior. That's great. Um, I know, because I work with a lot of people who have 14 days to make a movie. They don't have... Time to have fun. Yeah, time. It's like... Is they, that, and you think that is that? Do you think that's what's changed it? I think a lot has to do with that. It's to, do, it's to do. It's become. You know, I, I really don't believe. Um, a lot of people would disagree, but the movie films are not necessarily an art form in America right. anymore. It's a business. Yeah. You know. Um, yeah. And that's why at this time of the year we're getting all the good, the really good low budget movies coming out. You know, um, just for the Oscars. And there's some really good small movies. I mean, like Jojo Rabbit for one is fantastic. Right. Have you seen that? Um, you should see it. It's wonderful. It's a wonderful, wonderful movie. It's very funny. It's a satire. Hmm. Boy, about a boy going off to um, become a little... A Hitler, think, a, a Hitler youth, a, right? He's going to wait to be a good Hitler youth to a weekend camp. <laughs> wow. Some of, it, so, some of it doesn't go quite right for him. So he yeah. takes his imaginary friend with him, who is Adolf Hitler, oh. who is a bumbling fool. It is really, really funny. <laughs> People hate me to say that. Um, but it's a funny, funny movie. It's a very well-made movie. Cool. What uh, what do you do? What do you do right now? What are you doing now? I, I along with David, we um, between jobs, um, we teach at the or I teach and David teach. We teach at the New York Film Academy in in Burbank. So you're telling me you still you're still on set these days? Well, I just you know I'm getting a bit long in the tooth now, and I really don't want to work eighteen, fifteen, sixteen, eighteen hour days right. anymore. And yeah. um, I've got a good job, a good gig there. Right. Tony's uh, the chair of the cinematography. But I, you know, okay. he's my boss. Cool. <laughs> but going back cool. to, That's a good boss. to 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 my youth, um, and I said you need a lot of luck. I was I was helped a great deal by three cinematographers: Nick Rogue, John Wilcox, and Freddie Young, the great Oscar-winning cinematographer, um, and David Lean, and and also John Schlesinger, the director. Hmm. And um, you know, uh, and. They, I could n never have done it without them. So I feel like teaching is, I'm sort of giving back to right. hopefully the future yeah. filmmakers um, and I'm getting paid for it and I really enjoy it. We have some good students and uh, it's all good. That's great. Yeah. So I want to get into some some things that uh, we, 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 we want to discuss a little bit going uh -huh. off of your uh, IMDB <laughs> here. Right, okay. Documentary with the Beatles. Let well, it be. Let it be. Yeah. yeah, we just done a, we just done a um, ultra high def four K restoration of that, mm. and it is coming out. Um, yeah, that was pretty wild. Was it? Yeah. What was that like? Well, so this, so yeah. I, I kind of looked at, at it a little bit. They were trying to get things back together or something. The band was. You you can tell me better, but I haven't watched it. But uh, I read the little synopsis, and it was like they're trying to find the groove again, right, so right. to speak. Well, I do. I did two things in '68. Um, I did the uh, rock and roll circus with the Rolling Stones, mm. and um, um, and let it be with the Beatles. And what had happened was that um, Michael Lindsay Hogg, um, actually, the first movie I shot, how I got that was interesting. First movie I shot was a, a huge movie for which John Schlesinger got me, um, a huge movie for Paramount um, called Only When I Laugh. It was based on a a novel by Len Dayton, you know, who wrote Ipcress File and those spy, spy books. And this was a comedy and it starred David Hemmings, who was a massive star then, you know. And anyway, we finished the movie and then 
you know, as they would in those days, they hired companies to do the titles. And I got a call from this company called Chambers and Partners, and they said, listen, we've been hired to do the titles, but it is using the actors in an aeroplane, so we feel we should get the, the movie's cameraman to do it. And I said, okay, fine. It was being directed by a young guy called Michael Lindsay Hogg, um, who they were trying to get him into commercials. Um, and, you know, I, we shot for a week and Michael and I got on like a house on fire. And actually, he's Orson Welles' son, believe it or not. Mm. Um, mm. But he only admitted to that about two years ago. Um, <laughs> and he looks just like Orson Welles did at Chimes at Midnight, you know, big cherubic face and yeah. smoked big cigars. And at the end of it, we got on well. He said, what are you doing next weekend? I said, nothing. He said, well, do you want to do a job for me? We're going to shoot um, uh, Jumping Jack Flash for the Stones. So he did that. And that's so Michael and I got friendly when we did Rolling rock and roll circus and after that um he called me and said listen we're going to do um i've been asked to do a, a Beatles spectacular i think it was for abc television or um and i said to him are you going to shoot it on tape or on film he said i'm going to shoot it on tape i said I didn't want to do it because uh, i would have to have uh, used television operators you know and i i didn't right. i didn't get on too well with them during during the the, the making of um the rock and roll circus we, we used two special television cameras that had a beam slitter in where half the light went to the the tape and half the light went to or the tube half the light went to a 16 mil camera that was built into the built into the huh. camera i had no idea there so was the, anything like that well the, the, in, like we mick jagger sent michael and his guy to france and they had these cameras so to all intents and purposes with <coughs> excuse me a pedestal tv camera so the operator would zoom focus do the dolly the whole lot they do on television you know um and the director could be outside in a truck cutting it like a live show. Mm -hmm. So when we did the show, mm. the film, the 16 mil was, was um, developed. It, it had a, a mark, somehow it got, a mark got put in. So you had an instant rough cut from the negative and print, you know. Um, but that's another story. But, uh, sorry, and I, sorry I'm, so you have your internal crew, which is inside doing your uh, capturing of the footage with the band. Yes. And then you have, the director and the truck. The like truck a live outside. show. So like a live so you're doing on a line cut? Yeah, like a live television show. Wow. So, so he's, so he's cutting on tape, so he's got an instant cut on tape. Right. And, and it marks the film. And the negative is marked. Oh, So you can make a rough cut. That's pretty sweet. Wow. Um, Editing. <laughs> but they, we got wow. those from France. Um, and then um, whilst we also, it's part of another amusing part of that story is that during that weekend we went to Paris, um, Mick Jagger asked us to go and see Bridget Bardo because they wanted um, they wanted her for the ringmaster. But that's another story. But we'll get <laughs> Can I just say I wanted Tony's career? <laughs> Off we'll, to Paris. Yeah. Right. We'll get, we'll, we'll get back to that. Yeah. Um, but anyway, um, where were we? We were talking about uh, the Beatles. So because I didn't get on to... In those days, on a show like that, I would have been like the lighting engineer or the lighting director. Mm. It had nothing to do with the operation of the camera or the composition. I see. So those, I had to get TV offers. They didn't like my involvement, but I went out and in. So when Michael said he was going to do this, I said, didn't want to do it. So <clears throat> about four or five weeks later, I get a call from a guy called Dennis O'Dell, who was a line producer I knew. Uh, and I was friendly with him. And he also had just taken over running Apple Films. He listened. He said, the boys are renting an empty studio at Twickenham. Uh, and they were there because Ringo Starr had just finished The Magic Christian. And they're going to rehearse for this... Uh, well, this spectacular thing. Why don't you get a couple of 16 mil cameras and come down and just shoot what you like? And 
if it's any good, we'll put it together. Mm. And you can have half the money and I have half the money. My God. Anyway, <laughs> so I did. I went down there. So we were there for 25 days shooting with the Beatles. 25 days? What? And it was a lot of fun because we'd shoot a bit. They'd fuck about. They'd play right. the guitars. <laughs> we'd do another song. They'd all start an argument. Uh -huh. you know, and Linda McCartney would be there and Joko Ono. And they all hated each other. And then it was all friendly. And it was all a load of shit again. Oh, but wow. it was a lot of fun. Um, and then... Um, you know, Lennon said one day they were they were deciding where they would do this, um, where they're going to do this spectacular. And George Harrison wanted to do it um, on an Indian reservation, uh, a sacred place in, in Taos, New Mexico. Um, Lennon, you know, didn't really, wasn't too interested in doing it at all, I don't think. McCartney wanted to do it in the... Uh, in the Coliseum in Rome, which, of course, you couldn't shoot in. The <laughs> right. And then Ringo said... Why don't we do it? I mean, I can't do his accent. He said, "Why don't we do it going across the Atlantic on the QE2?" Well, I perked up. They thought, that wouldn't be bad. I don't mind if it's tape. I'll go across the Atlantic on the QE2 <laughs> to do this sort of concert. Anyway, Lennon said, "What's all that shit like you're shooting?" I said, "It's okay." He said, "Well, well let's see some." So I printed some up. Uh, a couple of days later, we got some prints, you know, and they liked it, and they said, "Well, let's just we can use this and just find a way to end it." And there was more discussion. And then we said, well, let's do it on the roof of Apple. Oh, wow. So we got, I got 16 cameras all over parts of London. And we did that, that concert on the roof of Apple, which was very, I mean, it brought London to a standstill. It brought London, that mm. part of London to a complete standstill. Yeah. And we bought in the lobby of Apple, which was in Savile Row, where all the great bespoke tailors are. Um, there was the Savile Row police station. So we knew the police would come. Mm -hmm. um, and we bought a little box, a big box with a two-way mirror stuck a guy called Mike Fox with a tiny little camera operator, um, uh, put him in that box. He was small enough to photograph the police coming and they did. And they eventually came up to the roof and then, um, they said, um, you know, you've got to stop this. And someone pulled the, uh, plug out and we stopped and then Lennon plugged it back in again. And we started again oh and did a few more numbers. And what was exciting was that the police then said, who's in charge and everybody pointed to michael lindsay Hogg. now michael i love michael we're great friends you've got no balls whatsoever <laughs> and um they, they said to michael if you don't um if you don't stop this right now we're going to arrest you so he stopped it which is really rather stupid because they should have arrested what are they going to do they're going to put it you know yeah. they, they let him away in handcuffs it's a great way to end the movie <laughs> but that was the that was he just the, wasn't thinking <laughs> that was the uh that was the last um that was the last time they sort of played together Wow. There was wow. one, and there was one wonderful day that, um, you know, I was in, you know, I haven't had a drink for 31 years, but I used to be a big drinker. All, all camera crews were huge drinkers in the 60s and 70s. And what England. was your drink? What'd you drink? Well, I'd start off with, um, when I woke up, a cognac in my coffee, just, okay. to, just to get you to start work. off. Yeah. And then basically I wouldn't drink again until about um, 11 o'clock in the morning. That oh, would be you a, paced yourself. I yeah. A like couple of vodka nice. and tonic. And then, you know, uh, you broke for lunch. You always had an hour for lunch in those days. And either you'd go to the pub and have a pint of beer or go to the restaurant in the studio and have a little glass of wine, you know. And then I tried not to drink again until about three in the afternoon. And it would be sort of coffee and black coffee till you wrapped, you it's know. It's primer. Hmm. It just, it was all good. Yeah, it was all yeah, good. Yeah, a little primer. It was all good, you know. Um, <laughs> and and um, I did one movie with a director called David Gray. Actually, it was the second movie I shot with Bette Davis. Um, and um, on the second day of shooting, David Green got the prop guy to give him an apple box. He said, quiet, quiet. And he got on this apple box and 
I just want to tell you guys, no one is to drink on my set except for me and him. <laughs> Fuck, I love this director. What <laughs> <laughs> kind of guy? Um, but there was a lot of heavy drinking in those days, but it was all, it was all good. You know, no one. No one got hurt. No one got hurt. You know, no yeah. one. They paced themselves. They didn't. If they got too drunk in the bar at the studio after work, they'd just sleep in their car till the next day. You know, <laughs> things like that. So who was who was more fun to uh, to work with, the Beatles or the Rolling Stones? Um, well, you know, the Stones rule. I like the Stones. I always liked the Stones. I mean, um, and I worked a lot more with them. I did the Rock and Roll Circus. I shot a movie that Jean-Luc Godard Jean directed with the Rolling Stones um, and did a few other things for them. But I, I, I just love the, I still love the Stones music, you know. Yeah. Um, and they were a lot of fun. Um, I, have a, I have a question for you. In, in settings like that, and you're, you know, you're cruising around with a camera, they're on their instruments. Are you allowed to, like, cross the line or do you have, like, a perimeter that you can... You no, have to well, kind of stick around and hover, you know. Well, the the, the two the two main things were the, the rock and roll circus, which was just a series of bands. You know, I mean, have you seen it? The rock and roll circus. I have not. You should do it. So it's one of the the great pieces of rock and roll. We shot it in 1968. Hmm. It was never released until um, uh, um, I guess 2000. And, um, oh my god! Are you serious? About 96. What I did think. you? What was the point of shooting it then? If you well, we in... shot it, and then what happened was, if you watch <clears> it, you'll see. The Stones do fight. It, it starred um, it starred um, Taj Mahal, mm -hmm. Jethro Tull, Marion Faithful, name dropper. Um, yeah, she was Jeez, she was beautiful. amazing. Marion Faithful, The Who, yeah. And then there was a jam session between Eric Clapton, Ginger Baker, Keith Richard, and John Lennon. Wow, that's cool. And then the, so you know we 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 they they rented a. A really shitty circus, like the worst circus in the world. A tiny one that would go to these podunk towns in over mm -hmm. England. And what you, you mean like clowns and midgets? Well, and that clowns sort of thing? and midgets yeah. and and people that rode horses, small but people, and people that did trapeze shit. Thank you for correcting me. <laughs> yes. It's a little. People. So we put this. We erected oh, this. People. We erected this circus in a in a TV studio, out just outside London. Yeah. And you know, between the acts, the circus would come on. The you know, circus was great because they had a woman riding horses who kept falling off. You know? <laughs> <laughs> the two trapeze artists were about eight feet off the ground. Oh, yeah. you know, so it was just dreadful. But um, <laughs> and the you know, so these groups would come, and so we we started shooting about two o'clock in the afternoon. And you know, uh, the, so by the time we got to the Stones, it was two o'clock in the morning. Right. And the Who had been on before them, and the Who were absolutely electric. They did three numbers. Mm. The Stones came on, and they, I thought they were fantastic. And we finished at two, and it was, it was a great great day because, like like those sort of things, the the bands come and go. They come do their gig and fuck off. Right, know? right. Everybody stayed. They were having such a good time. Nice. That's cool. <laughs> and um, you know, it was full of police because we we needed a crowd for the circus. So we had to, we had all these kids. We had to change out every four to five hours. So they all wore, wore ponchos. We gave them coloured ponchos and funny hats, so we couldn't tell them. And they would be shipped in from London oh, wow. on buses, <laughs> and then shipped back. But half of them would jump off the buses, and the parents were calling their kids and come oh, home to the man. police. So it was wonderful. <laughs> um, so uh, where, where was I? Oh yeah. So when Mick saw it put together, he hated it because he didn't feel they were as good as the Stones. Mm. <coughs> Excuse you me. You mean as good as the Who? Uh, sorry, he didn't. Yes, he didn't. Oh, he didn't feel that they were, they, they were as good as the Who. No, the Who were electric. 
So he wanted to shoot it again. And we couldn't do it straight away because of their commitments. And by the time he got around doing it, Brian Jones died. Oh, wow. And then nothing happened to it. Mm, um, okay. And then someone wow. someone got hold of it. Some of the footage went missing. Uh, they found it and then they recut it and they, set, they closed the New York Film Festival in 1990. But it's an incredible piece of rock and roll. You should see it. Yeah, rock and roll circus. Rock, the Rolling Stones rock and roll circus. It's I'll really totally check it out. It's really fantastic. And there's, mm. a, there's, there's a 4K restoration of it. You should get that one. Yeah, Blue. okay. Great. The Stones have crept back into my life now that I've been playing music again. Yeah, they're great. They're yeah. great. I mean, Keith Richards should be dead, man. The only, the only <laughs> thing one can say about that is that in, in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, the, the, the heroin must have been really pure. Yeah, clean. Uncut, clean. It's <laughs> probably good for you. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, right. So you said that you used to drink, and now you don't. What, 31 what was, years. What was the reason for, uh, uh, for stopping? Well... I guess, I mean, I didn't have to stop. I mean, I didn't, I was never sent away. Never, I never got sure. a DUI. never put any children in the fridge or, or, right. or, or the gas cooker. <laughs> um, you know, never <laughs> killed, killed a wife. Um, right. Right. Just, just a run of the mill. I, I just, I liked booze, yeah. you know, and the byproduct of liking it is you get drunk, you know. Yeah. Didn't, <laughs> didn't intend to get, it's not like kids today that go out to get smashed. You know, they yeah, get, yeah. We didn't, you just, you just, if you drank too much, you, got a bit tipsy and you know it was a sad but and i thought you know i was getting on my age and i thought you know this is sort of the time to give this up and um you know i'd, I'd also remembered that one time I'd, i was on a little movie here and um because when i first came here in 1979 i couldn't work the I, the union kept me out for six six months uh, six years when you moved to the to the united states, states. yeah so i did okay. commercial i did this one little picture which was a Really, a rather good movie, actually. It's a, it was Kirk Vonnegut slapstick with Jerry Lewis and Madeline mm. Kahn. One of my favorite. And they played, and they played. Sure. Me too. Oh, I want to find out later about Madeline Kahn. Uh, She's one and, of my favorites. And um, you know, they played two parts. They played the parents, and they played the idiotic twins. So Madeline Kahn and Jerry Lewis were either dressed as very rich parents or in pink onesies right. as, 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 as the infantile <laughs> twins. So we had big cots built and things like that. But that's another story. Um, and I got into such an argument one night with the production manager over something, I think over some lights or something. And I was 100% right, but I could tell by the way he was looking at me and smelling my breath, he could smell oh. booze on my breath. I don't know, you know. Well, was it taking you uh, serious? Yeah, maybe it's time to, you know, it then became, you know, it, it was a different sort of argument. So I thought this is the time. So I gave up, went to AA, loved AA. It was with a bunch of complete and utter, fantastic, really unbelievable guys. And we, they're all still sober. Wow. After 31 years. We so keep in touch with them? Yeah. The ones that are alive, yeah. Some are dead, you mm -hmm. know, but not through booze. Right. And um, it's good. So, That's great. Good for you, man. That's yeah. amazing. You should, you should try it sometime. <laughs> <laughs> I will. <laughs> sometime. Sometime. <laughs> yeah, but you're young. You, you're right. Yeah. So we're going to take you back bit. to 1973. 1973. Don't look now. Uh-huh. Oh, the right. famous sex scene. Uh-huh. Were you behind the camera? I was, handheld. So I watched it. It's pretty damn good. It is. Really good. I love the clipping, too, between them getting dressed and well, everything. The, the brilliance of that scene is the way it's cut. So cool. But mm -hmm. also, I mean, you know, love scenes, sex scenes are really hard to do. Um, uh, I imagine. And there's it, a lot going on there. Really hard to do to make it real. You know, um, and, um, you know, people still to this day see that and they say that they did make love. Because the rumors going around that she screwed on the right. They right. didn't. They did not. I can tell you that because it was Nick Rogue, 
myself, a focus puller who was so embarrassed he was facing the other way doing focus, <laughs> Simon Ramsey, and Julian Donald. So uh, I just I want to I want people to know who the who the actors were. It was uh, Julie Christie, right? Yeah. And uh, Donald Sutherland. Correct. Donald yeah, Sutherland. Correct. The young Donald Sutherland. Now, did you did you interact with Julie Christie back in Doctor Shavala? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so she knew you. Yeah, okay. well, I did. Well, I did. Yeah, we we'd go to dinner and yeah, we, we were great friends. I mean, there were only four young people on Doctor Shavala. There was Julie Christie, Tom Courtney, um, Michael Stevenson, the second AD, and myself. Well, I say that because I mean nowadays camera assistants sometimes aren't social. Uh, oh no! Oh, I was the, a, oh yeah, no! Yeah. I love the leading ladies. Especially when I was a DP. <laughs> do, do tell. Oh, well, it's a long story. Um, but anyway, I um, worked with some very beautiful women, and um, I've been very lucky to photograph some of them. Now, you said everyone who was in that sex scene, they're, they're just you and the director. So where's the rest of the crew? Well, well, what happened was, we didn't, if you've seen the movie, we've done the build-up to the scene where they're in the bathroom, one thing or another. And then um, we, and that, that that was all shot in the Balgrombon Hotel in Venice, where we rented a suite, and that was going to—that's where they lived while they were in Venice. And Nick said, "Listen, we're going to do the love scene tomorrow." He said, "So take the Ariflex home, a few rolls of film." And uh, we went back um, the next day. No one knew we were shooting that. The producer didn't know we were shooting it. No one knew except for Julie, Donald, I, and Nick. We went back. We shot it. Um, and, you know, I think the key to for, for a director to doing those sort of scenes is, one, it's an in, that scene is an integral part of the movie. Mm. It is the first time they've had sex of any sort since their child died. It's an integral part of the movie. It's an integral part, obviously, an integral part of the story. Okay. And there was a great deal of trust between, because Nick and I, um, had done four movies with Julie. I mean, first of all, Chivago, although he needed a month. And then then um, Fahrenheit 451, which Nick shot, and I was the assistant. And then um, Far From the Manning Crowd, which I was the focus for, which Nick shot. So we were all great friends, you yeah. know. And then Donald was really easygoing. It's a bit more difficult now, apparently. But he was really easygoing. And um, we just went into that... Uh, Went into that room, and the only, the only thing Nick sat in a chair way back in the room, and he said, "Listen, when Donald turned when um, Donald turned her over, she's got this dressing gown on, and he Nick said, what I want you to do, he's going to pull her dressing gown apart and kiss her face and neck, go down, mm -hmm. kiss her breast, and go down out of picture, and then when you feel him go out of picture, go over him and get a close up of Julie, and then mm. just get what you can." Why the secrecy? You said no one well, knew no, because the producers. No, and... because no one trusted. I mean, no, because because it, we knew it was going to be. It, they were both completely new. There were no yeah, pastries. Right. And that, that's kind of that's and, kind and, of not a, a really normal thing. It's normal no. thing now, but back then it wasn't very, very no, normal, not, right? No, not at all. Yeah, well, the producers it, would never be out. Of well, the most today. you know they, they put they put pasties on things like that, but also don't forget we were shooting one eight five, mm -hmm. but you shoot full frame. You don't have hard masks in. So basically, you're composing for 185, and that's how it's going to be projected because there's a mask in the projector, but you're framing a lot more. So if you're going to cut down just above the crutch, when you shoot it, you're going to see it all. It's yeah. all there. Yeah. Um, so that's where the trust has to come, you know, yeah. and they trusted Nick and they trusted me. So and... all in, there was only six of you in there, right? No, there was... All in, there was, there was uh, five of us. Five. Yeah. So he didn't want so the producer's input. That's why no, he didn't want no, 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 no. Yeah. But also, then what we did was we once we shot the film, instead of sending all our film went to Technicolor 
Rome because they were processing the movie we were in Venice. Mm -hmm. This we sent to Technicolor London, where both Nick and I knew Les Ostendorf, who ran the lab, who was also a good friend. And, um, you know, he knew Nick as a DP and uh, he'd, he'd taken me under his wing when I became a young cinematographer on my first movie where everybody, you know, they, it was a shock to the British. You know, I came from basically being clapper boy to a DP. I yeah. didn't, never operate. There's only a focus put on two pictures. Didn't like that. It was far too difficult a job. Right. <laughs> it's a hard job. You, oh, it's horrible. David knows more <laughs> about that than me. You sweat bullets till the next morning, you know, because you, you, you didn't have reflex cameras in those days, so you weren't looking through the lens and you had to, oh, it was a nightmare, horrible job. Um, so we sent that to London, but still someone got hold of that negative and, and stri oh, stri shit. strips of the, the were put into Playboy magazine. And that's when Warren someone got paid. Warren Bailey went crazy because yeah. he, uh, you know, he he told because Paramount picked it up for uh, um, as a uh, as a negative pickup, and he went into Peter Bart, who was a big you know Peter Bart from was it Variety magazine. So Warren Bailey, where where did yeah, well where, where Warren Bailey was from? a huge star, right? In yeah, seventies, huge. But why did he get upset? You're talking about because his... he was with Julie Christie. They were oh, living together. They were together. Got it. And oh, he boy. said he said he wanted to cut that scene pubic bare by Hugh pubic hair <laughs> and he was sort of instrumental of it not getting a very good release in the united states wow that is unfortunate but i mean you know so although there was no real direction during that scene um the brilliance of it is the way nick cut it because it's not scripted that way the, the idea of they're making love and getting dressed and making love and getting dressed it's, it's just this is one wonderful he's an, nick was an amazing movie maker an amazing movie maker artist mm. a true true yeah. true uh Artist, yeah. As, as the same with the man who fell to earth, you know. So we talked a little bit about about how things have changed, <coughs> and you you mentioned that you think that it's be, because movies have become sort of a business that it's it's changed the landscape. Um, do you feel like there still are people that are that are trying to make good artistic? Yes, film? there are, but generally. You know, I mean, but I mean, in the past, it was make an artistic film and we'll fund it. That's now right. it's now it's it's no, well, we're not going to give you a very good budget. No, but I mean, I, this, listen, look, it's like it's that that argument started a couple of weeks ago between Scorsese and saying that you know Marvel movies are not really movies; they're rides. I totally agree with him. Yeah, I do. I mean, I, 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 do I, well. I don't like those movies. <clears throat> I know the audiences do. They're made to make lots of money, and they do make lots of money. Um, and thank God for Netflix. You know, yeah. I mean, um, oh, you're right. You know, about that. I mean, look at the stuff that's coming out on Netflix. Two Popes, um, um, The Irishman. You know, mm -hmm. the studios wouldn't touch that movie, right? But they'll touch other rubbish, like you know, Spider Man. I mean, people mm -hmm. like those. I don't like those movies. I don't even seen one. I saw one. I saw the first them. Um, Robert Downey one. What was he? Iron Man. Iron Man. I hated it. I just don't like those movies. But yeah. that's not to say. But the audiences love them, you know. So, do you think that that Netflix movies should be uh, up for Oscars? And Absolutely, things like that? yeah. They're movies. So they think because the rule is that they should only be in the theater. Am I correct? No, the on that? rule is not. The rule is any movie is eligible that shows for one week to public showings in Los Angeles. That's it. That's it. That's yeah. the rule. So, so that's why Netflix is doing that. That's right. And Lately, they've been doing. That's it. Well, they have to do it to yeah. get it. And the Academy uh, wanted to change that. But then, you know, that's not fair to, you can't change it for them, change it for others, you know. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. And I, you know, the, 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 listen, there's incredible stuff on Netflix. Yeah. Incredible stuff. Yeah, I think going back to David's interview, we were talking. Yeah, talk to David. Too. <laughs> we're going to, this is, this is important. I had a two-parter. Be, because <laughs> he did. He did. Uh, uh, what Tony just mentioned, 
Um, the action movies today with all the CGI and the computer graphics and stuff. And then what we were talking about, David, is our generation, our, our era, we were processing the movies. And now it's like there's so much stimulus. They're just com- responding. Yeah, you're yeah, just like might, reacting to... probably talked to, about that last yeah. time, yeah. Reacting to that. And that's, um, you know, to, uh, to Tony's point here, um, I'm glad that there's independent worlds yeah. now that they're making... Um, For sure. You know, making good, good films. I don't think storytelling will ever go away. I mean, you know, it goes back tens of thousands formula, of years. Right? There's a formula that, it, that there's kind of like... Which is why a lot of people are rebooting the older stuff that was very successful back in the day. And it's now not successful. And now it's not. When they reboot them, they're dreadful. Yeah. Why touch good things? Well, they're trying to make it more current, and it sucks the life out of it. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, um, take Ford versus Ferrari. It's an action piece. There's a lot of action in that. But even though the action is great, it's still... James Mangold's an incredible director. He's very good at action. But it's also very character driven. So the action is character driven. It's not just put in for action. Right. You know? I mean, and uh, right. I like character. I'm sure David does character driven movies. You know, yeah. um, and they're few and far between. You know, in in in, in the big world of the cinema. You know. Yeah. I just I, I just finished a uh, movie um, that is to be released in February, and it, um, this will be an official release. The uh, it. Went to Sundance last year and won the audience, dramatic audience award or something like that. that. Uh, It's called Burden. Burden. Hmm. Um, Forrest Whitaker, Garrett Hedlund, Hmm. Andrea Riseborough, produced by Robbie Brenner, um, directed by Andrew Heckler. Hmm. Um, Incredible, incredible movie. And it's very character driven. Yeah, Forrest was in my first film I directed. Oh, yeah. He's so good. So good. Yes. But um, look for it because when it comes out, it's a fantastic fantastic piece so who do you think is doing it uh right i mean in, in, a, in a way that it's still artistic nowadays well i think there's a lot of great foreign films too i mean that that's still very much an art form in you know the french cinema the spanish cinema you mm-hmm. know um just a lot of lot of great foreign films and this is, this is the time of year I and mean, there's a lot to see we're going yeah. you know, starting to get all the Academy screeners yeah um i think you know i think that um the smaller budget movies. I like the smaller budget movies as long as they've got enough money to do it properly. You know, I mean, if you yeah. can get, if you can raise four or five million, you can, that goes a long way on sure. a small movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like like the, the you know the, the some of these directors, like the guy that directed Jojo Rabbit. He also directed Thor, which made like a billion dollars. So, you know, he'll do those movies to make lots of money. That gives him the clout to make the yeah. movies he really yeah, wants to make. Good that, point. That's the way to do it. You know. Yeah. Yeah. All right, well, we want to talk about. We want to go back a little bit too. Now, you did. You did a. Was it a music video with David Bowie? What did you? Just, what, what did you do with no, David? The man, the man who fell to earth. Movie. Oh, the movie. I'm it's sorry. Yeah. yeah. I've seen. I've not. I didn't see it. But you should, I've weird. not seen it. But uh, what how was, did you have me in here and not see my movies? Well, jeez, how <laughs> do we, how do you get through them all? <laughs> oh, just, I mean, you stay up. You know, you stay up all stay night. Up, I'm stay up all night. You heard, you heard, you heard <laughs> of cocaine? <laughs> I have heard of cocaine. Oh, there yes. you go. That'll keep you awake for a day or two. Yeah, no, no. There's just so many. No, there's I know. So no, David Bowie was incredible. That's an amazing movie. Um, I'm not because I because you shot it. It sounds like I, it's amazing because it's an amazing movie. It's a very weird, weird movie. Um, and you know, there's no one alive then or today that could have played that role. He's an alien. You know. Um, although he wasn't Nick Rogue's first choice. Nick Rogue's first choice was um, 
was Michael Crichton, the author. Oh, wow. Because he's about six foot seven tall and very skinny and looks very I weird. didn't know he was an actor. He's not. He's, oh. been, he's been in a few of his movies. Just a choice. Yeah. And, oh, okay. And he's, he looks like an alien. Um, and he was going to do it. And then, of course, he's, he got cold feet and pulled out. So the movie sort of fell apart. And Nick, Nick Rogue had just seen a BBC omnibus documentary called um, Cracked, uh, Cracked Actor. And it was mm. a documentary about David Bowie. He'd just come off of about three or four years of being completely strung out on alcohol and all drugs and the whole lot, you know. And Nick somehow talked him into doing it. And um, he did it. And part of the, there's a lot of scenes in that movie where, I mean, but he was very professional, but he always turned up on time. He had his minders there that made sure he didn't drink and take drugs, you know. Um, <laughs> and uh and um it's a good you know, job yeah i'm in charge of making sure you don't do shit <laughs> yeah but just give me that shit i'll look after it while you're not doing it <laughs> i'll hold it for you <laughs> um funny. but there's a couple of times where nick didn't direct him at all he always knew his lines he was very professional always, always on time and nick didn't direct him you could see on the set he was barely holding it together and it's perfect for the character. Mm. Um, and he was wonderful. He was great to work with. Nick knew what to not touch. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, Which that's is, great. The movie's mostly unscripted. No. It is scripted. It's scripted, yeah. Okay. Paul Meisberg wrote the script. Yeah. Right. Because, I mean, it just seems like there was a lot of Bowie letting him do what he wanted to do. No, no, no. It was very much scripted. Was it? Okay. Yeah. Well, then that's... <coughs> very much scripted. As, uh, you know, very much scripted. A lot of people think that Don't Look Now wasn't scripted. Very scripted. Hmm. Great script. Um, I guess that's a credit do, to the director. Think, yeah, do you think that there's like... success in, in stuff that has less guidelines, like like non-scripted or just <laughs> concepts when you go into scenes? Well, I think that, um, I, I, it's, I don't know, really. I mean, um, you know, when you get a director like Nick, you know, he works very closely with the writers, very closely. Never, mm. never, never once tried to, well, he's passed away now, but never once tried to get a, a co-writing credit, you know, never, like a lot of directors want to do the rewrite because yeah. uh, it's a bit more than a rewrite because they want to maybe get a bit of extra money for getting a credit, you know. Um, and he worked, worked very closely with the writers and the, always liked the writers to be around, you know, so he was, yeah. they were all t tinkering things, you know, cause things, you know, start one way and go off in a different direction and come back, you know. Yeah. Um, but I think the script's the most important thing. Sure. It's, it's the... That's the listen, look. Get, I mean, a movie is really—it's all about the story and the script, you know. Yeah. And and then the director interprets that story in the script, I think. And then, how do you, as a, as as someone behind the camera, help to to bring it to life? I mean, you have, do you have how much of how much how much investment do you have into the story? I well, mean, do, you, you, do you find do you read a script? Is it something that you do, or yeah, do you just follow? no? No, I read, obviously read the script, and I mean, you know, many years ago you'd read two or three scripts, and you'd be off of three or four movies, and you choose the ones you want to do. Nowadays, right. you're off of one. You hope you get it. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but I mean, I think that a cinematographer is really is a slave to two things. He's a slave to the script, and 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 the director. It's, right. it's the cinematographer's <clears throat> job to put the director's vision on the screen. Nothing else. It's not his vision. It's the director's vision. Got it. That director may have been working on a script for five years to get it to where it's greenlit. Yep. And he's got a pretty good idea, and this is a complete moron of how he wants his movie to look and to feel. You know, and um, your job is to interpret that, and then hopefully take it a stage further and work together as a yeah. as a team, as a partnership. But I, mean, I, I would imagine. I mean, you know, having done the job too. 
I mean, your relationship with Nick, that there must have been a lot more input than just oh, yeah. the cinematographer. I mean, well, you guys were close. Well, we were very close. And, um, you know, whenever we were on location, we was, uh, most of our movies were on location. We would always live together, you know. Right. Um, and, um, you know, eat every night, drink every night, yeah. um, party every night. But I mean, so all some pretty pretty deep bonds come. Yeah, come but you're always like talking. You somehow you're you over there. You're always talking about the movie. Well, what about we do this? And right. Well, so you, it's it's constant. I mean, it's a bit it's different. constantly evolving. I've never liked making movies at home because what happens is you you finish work and you go home and you go to the right. nagging wife and the kids <laughs> and this and that and you got to pay the bills and you know. But when you're away, you're there just to make the movie. Yeah, location's right. great. That's it's all wonderful. you do. And yeah. you get movie. and this you get per, you get per diem, you know. Right, and you live high, very. And you high, get shuttled around, and, high on the hog, and you're treated like gods. You know, yeah. and it's very, it's lovely. Speaking of which, what, what movie was it? You were, I think it was uh, the Anthony Quinn movie. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, you had more than just a car and per diem. Oh, that was the best movie I ever did. I love, I love that movie. It just came out the wrong time. It's a, a fictional story about uh, Onassis and Jacqueline Kennedy. Mm. And, and Jackie Bissett played Jacqueline Kennedy, and Anthony Quinn played Onassis. And he and I became great. I, well, he and I became great friends. And I, I've become, I had three actors I've been really close to, and that was Anthony Quinn, Charlie Bronson, who's fantastic, and Michael Caine. And they're all wonderful, wonderful human beings. Yeah. Um, and talk about raconteurs, Michael Caine can tell a story. Yeah. Oh my God. That's great. But anyway, um, so on the Greek tycoon, we're in prep in London, and, and obviously, we need. They got a boat. They got a big boat called La Belle Simone, um, which is a monstrous yacht to take over to to be Onassis's yacht because we couldn't get the real one, um, Christina, which was still which was then when we were there in still in uh, the harbour in Athens. But anyway, we got this. And how Alan Klein, who produced the movie, who I knew strangely, he didn't get me the job, but I didn't realise until I was on the job that he was producing. He was the Beatles, the Stones manager. <laughs> then he left the Stones and joined the Beatles and then left the Beatles and then made the Greek tycoon with $9 million that he got from somewhere. Wow. <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> and he was a great guy. I loved Alan. Um, but um, so we're in prep in London and the, the line producer called me and said, so obviously Anassis has a helicopter. There's a lot of helicopter work in the movie. Uh, he said, so I've got you an Alouette, which was a French helicopter, which was the best, or in those days, was always the best helicopter to work with. It was one that looked like a big bumblebee, mm -hmm. and it had a lot of torque, and you hung out the side on a, on a tile mount. And I said, where did you get that from? He said, I got it from Af the, the uh, Olympic Airways. I said, what, the Greek Airways? He said, yes. I said, I'm not flying with the Greek pilot, because I used to like to do that myself, because it looked very flash, hanging out the helicopter. You know, The girls like that. Um, <laughs> so um, he said, well, what do you suggest? I said, well, I've just worked with this guy from Alaman Helicopters. Um, John Ackroyd Hunt, let's get him. So anyway, they got the uh, helicopter from Ackroyd. They flew it out to to, uh, to Corfu where we were staying. And um, John came in one day and he said, listen, he said, um, just want you to know, Alan, this is a huge rental for us. I mean, we had it for 12 weeks. Wow. So you imagine that, that rental. Yeah. And he said, you know, the company have only rented this helicopter for, um, for Monday to Friday. So Alan wants you to have it for the weekend. I said, what do you mean? He said, Tell me where you want to go, I'll take you. So I had my wife and kids with me. Wow. And, and we'd go off to these beaches, and it was just fantastic. Oh, that's so cool. So every, And then even Perks, one day, Alan man. Klein came Perks. to me one day and said, listen, Tony, are you going to use the helicopter this week? And I said, no. He said, I, I need, do you think I could borrow it? <laughs> yeah, of course, Alan, yeah. Um, so anyway, another time, we're on the, we're on the uh, Belle Simone, and we're, we're off the coast, and I've got two 
two huge pontoons towed by tugs, one with four, um, one with a generator and four arc, arc lamps on, and another with a Chapman Titan crane on it. And we're just about to shoot, and this boat is appearing on the horizon. So I got the mega, get the fuck off, scream. You know? <laughs> and the pilot happened to be on board, and he said, he said, don't complain about that too much. I said, why? He said, it's yours. I said, what are you talking? He said, wait, just wait. So this boat is getting closer. It's about a 40-foot boat. It's towing a speedboat. I said, what do you mean it's mine? He said, well, Alan's also got a shipping company in Athens, and this is his personal boat, so you've got that. So I had a helicopter and a boat. <laughs> Can't get better than that. So that's, that's always one of my favorite movies. That's great. I, re I really appreciate Tony. Um, stories like that about being friends with Anthony Quinn and and Michael Caine and stuff Charles like that. Charles Bronson, yeah. Charles Bronson. Because in my position where I'm at, I get to be friends with guys like David too <laughs> and meet these people that are now lifelong friends right. and, um, and actors and producers and stuff like that. Um, I just appreciate that because you really, you really can break it down to their, they're just human beings as well. Charlie, you know Bron I mean? Charlie Bronson was great. I mean, he, you know, if Charlie just did that, he was laughing out loud. Yeah. <laughs> and he was just a great guy, you know, yeah. and he was a wonderful actor yeah. and took things very seriously. And if, um, if you didn't know what you were doing, he'd rip you apart. Mm. Hmm. He knew what you were doing, and he, we became great friends yeah. after the movie. And um, you know, I used to have poker games every month, and Charlie would come and play poker with the guys. You know, nice. and then um, I remember I was going out with a some young beautiful model, um, and um, I said to her, I dropped her off one night, and I said, "Listen, I said, um, there are six or seven other girls you've got look, 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 like you." She said, "Yeah." I said, "Well, I said, well why don't next Friday I'd like to have a pool? I I got this nice big house in Brentwood." Um, and I was single. It was my sort of bachelor pad. And I said, I'm going to have a, have a party. So you bring, so she, she bought eight, over eight girls. So I invited uh, eight guys. And Charlie <laughs> was one of them, no. you know. This is sort of Charlie, guy Charlie was. So it was all going well and people were swimming and I cooked a lot of steaks and, you know, yeah. things were getting down to the, what was eventually going to happen later in the evening. You know? And <laughs> it came midnight, Charlie had to go. And I remember there's a guy, there was an agent there called Bobby Lipman, great, great, great friend of mine. He's passed on now. Um, and he had two incredible girls, one on either one on either knee and sitting at the table and having a drink. You know? And Charlie left and said goodbye. And he, he got to the front door, then came back in. He said, excuse me, I'd just like to say something. To you young ladies, if either one of you fucks Bobby Lipman tonight, the whole of Hollywood will know tomorrow. And he just left. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the, that's the sort of guy he was. A lo lovely, lovely man. Yeah. Lovely man. That's great. So your I mean, children, uh, your son George is also in film? He's, he's very much in film. He's a big DP now. He's a big, big dog. He is a big dog. He did Rocket Man. He's yeah. just about... Yeah, just, amazing job. Beautiful and, film. And, yeah. the, um, and the Kingsman movies. Um, and now he's just about to start actually next week or beginning of December. He starts prep on the fantastic, new fantastic. Beast. Did he, did he fantastic sit down beats. with you? Did yeah. he sit down with you, Tony and dad <coughs> talk to me? What is yeah. it? Yeah. Did he spend what, some time what on it? set? Did he, how well, did he get, the, how did he get there from? Well, um, they, but he, he and his younger brother who's two years younger, chunky. He's not at all chunky, but that's another story. <laughs> <coughs> um, I, you know, I divorced their mom and I was living here and, um, I get a call one Saturday evening or Sunday morning, and she said, um, pick them up next Wednesday. I said, from where? Said, 
what do you mean from where? From LA. I said, well, I'm going to go away. She was in. Mm -hmm. She said, what, what do you mean you go? I said, we're going to go and do a movie. She said, well, that's your problem. This is your ex-wife. Ex yeah. ex so I went and picked them up from the airport. And I said, okay, listen, guys, we're going to go away. You're going to go to work. I said, they said, what do you mean? Yeah, yeah. I said, we're going to go to Utah. And we're going to shoot a movie. And I'm going to shoot a movie called um, Sandlot. Mm. And you're going to work on it. So I made one of them uh, the uh, loader, the other one the second. They, we don't know how Brilliant. To, wow. we don't know how Brilliant. To, we don't know how to do that, Dad. I said, well, I'll teach you tomorrow. Yeah. I'll teach you tomorrow. <laughs> so I went up to Claremont. I spent I went, years getting good at that. I, I'll I went, teach you tomorrow. I went, I went up to Claremont and gave them some magazines and some films. That's how you load the magazines. Don't fuck it up. I said, I'll have to fire And somehow out of that, you know, they, they got the bug, you know. And That's great. They stayed and then... Um, you know, I they George operated about nine movies for me, and Chunky pulled Focus, and they moved up, and then they wanted to go back to England, and I gave George a break on a second unit, and then he became a DP. Oh, and George, I mean, Jesus, that uh, uh, Children of Men. <coughs> yeah, if you know people listening, if you haven't seen Children of Men, it's just a great movie. But there is this great wonder yes. shot, yeah, and um, that's just phenomenal. Um, have you guys had a chance to? I haven't. Yeah, it's just a phenomenal. Well, the, the incredible that's shot. really that you know. So I get I put him in a position where he could do things, and he went back to England, became a very big camera operator in England, and then um, you know Chivo or Lebetsky, who photographed Children of the Men. I mean, he always operated on his own movies, but I guess this was one he didn't want to operate, so he interviewed. He chose George and them. Um, the whole movie is handheld. There's not wow. one dolly shot, one steady camp shot. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, the, and that, that, that movie and that one, one of David talking about the siege of Bexhill, um, you know, it changed his career. It changed his career. Right. I mean, directors would come to England, they would ask for him, things like that. Well, and, and to describe the shot a little bit, it, it is basically, you know, if you can picture historically like, like the, uh, the Polish ghettos during the you know Nazi occupation. So it's 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 like that in London mm -hmm. in the future, where uh, immigrants are all shoved into a part of the city that's just walled off, sort yeah. of like Escape from New York mm -hmm. kind of thing. Yeah. And um, and he follows uh, 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 Clive Owen, Clive Owen, right? Who's running with a woman who's pregnant and or with a baby at this point, and, uh, and they're being fired at, and they're in the middle of the the military who's shooting at the people who live there locally with guns. And it's just this huge gun battle. And wow. it's just one single long, amazing shot. It's just, which, it, which, which it's, is it's classic. Isn't done much anymore. Right. Well, Other, I mean, he just did it, but what I, what I mean by that is, I, I think we talked about it a little bit on your, they, with your they, interview. They, they do one but I mean, nothing, it's a lot of cuts. They take away from the story a lot of times. Yeah, so, and this, this one stays, is the story. And, and, and also, it's incredibly difficult on so many levels because it's not just George operating the camera. The other one's got All to pull focus. Yeah. But the timing of the explosions, right. you know, the, the, the guns firing, the, squids, the AD yeah. and all this. Tanks and crew yeah. and Crazy. background extras. Totally and, synchronized. And blood squibs yeah, yeah, going yeah, off because yeah, yeah. it isn't like, oh, just go back, let's start again. You got to reset It'll everything. Probably take half a day to reset if that. Yeah. Wow. I mean, you got a small army, tanks back to right. one, reapply the explosions and, mm -hmm. you know, all that. So you, you want to get it, you yeah. want to get it as, yeah. Yeah. as in as many, a few takes as you can, yeah. probably one if you can. Right? But he, listen, you want to get it right. He's good. George is good. He's yeah. the real deal. Yeah. Good luck to him. He's making lots and lots of money so he can look after me when I retire. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Very proud of him. Love him. <laughs> there you go. All right. Well, we do something fun at the end of our 
podcast. Is, is where we get paid? Yes. But, yes, we hand out $100 this... bills. Oh, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> not really. What we do is we, we ask some uh, some rapid-fire questions. We, they're really not rapid-fire because we do have some discussion that comes Let from Let David it. talk. Ask him some questions. Well, I will. No. But no, they asked me this. these questions last time. Uh, well, they're different, different series. Different but series. it's basically a, a rapid and then discuss. Yeah. <laughs> rapid. So uh, just here you go. Here's the first one. Yeah. You ready for it? Uh, giving pre- presents or getting presents, which do you prefer? Mm-hmm. Getting presents. Mm-hmm. Nice. I'm honest. Yeah. <laughs> Most people would say giving presents because that's the correct thing. To right. You, <laughs> you want to be politically correct. Well, yeah. It's a very particularly correct time now. It is. See, we don't forget we didn't have the Me Too movement. Yeah. When I started. Yeah. So uh, I I do like giving though. Giving is. Oh, nice I to, give of myself. Right. It's nice to give a present. But it's not though. wrapped up. <laughs> with a bow, or you can put a bow around it. I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next one. Uh, if you had a child, which you do, what do you want them to be most popular? Uh, would you want them to be the most popular person in their high school? It's kind of a dumb question because you've already. You know, they're already adults and making movies, but uh, is that something that you thought would be important? No, not really. Yeah. Were you the most, were you popular in high school? Not really. No, you quit I, at 15 I, I, I quit right? at 15. Yeah, right, I, yeah. I tried very much to stay under the radar. Yeah, that's I smart. Like, I didn't like school. Yeah, I mean, you said you left they, school at 15. Yeah, yeah, I did. And you got the cane for everything. You know, if you didn't do your French homework, you got six of the best. It was fucking painful. <laughs> It hurt. It hurt to go to school. The welders. It would take forever to put the welders. It wasn't so bad in the first school when you got cane because you could cry. But then when you went to the upper school, you got cane. You couldn't really cry because there was chicks in the class. Oh, yeah. So you try to stay under the radar. It sounds like a Pink Floyd video. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. These are really weird questions. I'm going to move on. Yeah, who came up with these questions? The internet. The internet, as usual. How many redheads uh, are you friends with? I've only been, I only have one redheaded girlfriend. Only one. Only one, yeah. Yeah. Kind of rare, aren't they? I heard, I heard they're, uh, gingers. Yeah. We're, you're kind of gingery, though, aren't you? Look a at you bit. there. It's, it's losing the ginger, yeah, though. It's I'm, becoming silver. Yep. All right. Uh, what's your favorite carnival food? What is carnival food? Like, uh, when you go to the Popcorn. fair. Do you go to the fair? You probably don't go to the fair, huh? Like circus. Just talk- um, What'd you eat during the filming of the? Uh... <laughs> I'm not really into cotton candy and candy. yeah. There's they things I pretty... don't like about cotton. I don't like um, what are those hot dogs covered in paste? Corn dogs. I think they're the most disgusting thing in the world. Yeah, they, they are, taste. Like they're kind of weird. Yeah. They taste like shit. Yeah, <laughs> it's American food. What do you expect? Exactly. And deep fried butter's not very good either. Yeah. Mm. I don't know. Some people would disagree with that. Uh, if you if you were really hungry, would you eat a bug? If you were just starving, would you eat a bug? Well, I've eaten bugs. Well, that's I eat a witchy, I eat a witchy grub. I don't I don't know what that is. Witchy grub is <laughs> like, a, is. a great big maggot. Oh, and, and just a, raw. A, no, but I was out with the aborigines in the desert in in, uh, in um, Australia. Okay, and that's a delicacy. So, oh shit! Don't worry about that. <laughs> um, and um, you know they gave you these these grubs to eat it's like it's it tasted like shit but yeah i thought you were going to say it's now, at the what, bottom now, of a tequila bottle. is it cooked or is it raw no it's raw you put them in your mouth somehow and they you twist the you put your head oh, in come on. and twist and you pull the insides out and eat the grub you know okay that was I only have one. exactly what i was hoping for with the answer with that answer <laughs> really really was so you didn't dip them in hummus or no they don't have much hummus out in the outback 
<laughs> what do they call it in Vegemite? Put some Vegemite, Vegemite on it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Australians are really, we, we just had Marmite in England. But they so have, they're, they're, so they're this veg- bug's alive. They're handing you this bug yeah, alive. Yeah, yeah. And then the other, it's worse than that, though, because oh, when we, we I did I did the second unit on Walkabout because Nick directed it. Mm-hmm. And um, so I did all the killing of the animals, but we never wasted them. Like when we killed wallabies, the Aborigines with us. They would eat it straight away. But what the first things they do when they kill a kangaroo or a wallaby is they cut the top of the tail off, pull it out and pull the sinews out of the tail, which they use for rope. Oh, wow. And then they go in wow. and then cut the liver out. And that's the delicacy, the warm liver. Wow. And, the, and they gave you a little taste of that. So you have to eat that. I hated that too. Mm-hmm. But, <laughs> So now no, and it's no, camping. Was it, was it <laughs> and it was camping. See the correlation. No wonder you're fucked up about camping. <laughs> Bugs and liver and life pulling tails out of animals. Uh, not, yeah. So now you see why we do these, right? Because the, the fun stuff comes out. Um, all right. Do you go to sleep? Oh God. I really should be wearing my glasses right now. <laughs> Did someone text you these? <laughs> Horrible. Well, it's even if it's the glasses. How long can you hold your breath for? <laughs> well, we well, there's a it? joke in there. Yeah, we, yeah. It depends how far. It depends how far you're going down. Oh yeah, exactly. That's the joke we were diving about. reference, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. Well, yeah. scuba yeah. diving reference. Yes. Scuba yeah. All right. Uh, do you eat cereal by by chance? Or I this, used to. What's your favorite cereal? Um. Yeah, what is breakfast for you? Yeah, what's well, breakfast for you? Breakfast, I well, I sort of, um, I tend to eat a little bit of oatmeal for breakfast. Nice, okay. but I guess that's cereal. Yeah, that is cereal. Yeah. yeah. Do you put do you put milk in it? No, cream. Cream. Okay. Like He's the, British. Yeah. Right. Do you do you like living here more than uh, than 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 Britain? No. Did you did you live in London? Yes. Is that where you're from? I don't know. I don't like California. No. no. I, the, the good things about California, the weather. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a different way of life, you know. Tony, yeah. I want to circle too, back too, to, the, too fast to the pace. delicate, uh, the, the liver thing. <laughs> yeah. Was it the taste or was it the idea? Of what? The eating. Why, why the oh, no, it's just a fucking horrible. It's just horrible. It's like eating. Ugh. It's, it's just horrible. It's raw, just dead, right? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's still, still circulating. It's, 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 it's raw, warm death. <laughs> but I do like little cooked liver. I like to go to Musso and Frank's every six months to get that. Oh, they got a great uh, uh, bacon and liver. Yeah, liver and onions. We should go there. We go there for lunch one day. I'll buy buy you lunch. Oh. Liver, onions, mashed potatoes. You can't get better than that. Yeah, they do a great liver and onions. Don't don't try raw liver. It's just not good. I just was curious if it was the idea that the kangaroo was laying next to you or something and you were eating part of it. It's brutal. It probably was if they just cut it out. Yeah, Yeah. but they they ate everything. They they eat everything. Right. uh, and then what they don't leave, we left the, they cut, they cut the legs off and they cooked those and they left the body there. And we went off and we came back past the place, same place about two weeks later. And there was nothing there but bones. The maggots had just eaten the whole thing. Wow. That is Nothing crazy. goes to waste in color. And then you just eat the maggots. Yeah. The witchetty grubs. <laughs> <All> right, so, <laughs> it's, it's just a cycle. Yeah. It's just a whole cycle there. All right. So this is going to say everything about you right now. Bring it. Everything. Okay. If there's a spider in your house, do you kill it or do you set it free? I just let it go. Meaning I don't, if it's in the house, let it, let it do what it wants. You just don't bother you, it. You don't torch no, the house. You don't even take the house. I'm not frightened of spiders. Yeah, good. Yeah. All right. Well, well, I, I want the question that I got, which is uh, your childhood crush. Oh, yeah. yeah. Who was your childhood crush? Because we know his. Brigitte Bardo. But I never, t- Brigitte Bardo. I never told you the story of Brigitte Bardo. Please. You want that? Oh, of yeah. course. Bring it. So we'd spent, when we went to Paris, Michael Lindsay Hogg didn't fly. So we had to go to Paris on the train to get those cameras. 
So we went Friday night, left Victoria Station at 10 o'clock. Michael wasn't a big drinker. I was a big drinker. We had the chef's all day special, a very greasy eggs, liver, chops, sausage and eggs. And lots and lots of cognac. So we get to Paris in the morning. We check into the hotel. Michael's throwing up because he's sick. And I went upstairs and slept for a couple of hours. And then we went off in the afternoon and saw these cameras. The next day, we were due to go and see Brigitte Bardot. Now, you've got to understand that Brigitte Bardot in 1966 was at the height of her sensuality. She was unbelievable. Um, and both Michael and I were very nervous about meeting her. So we went, we got up in the morning, had a bit of breakfast, then went to a bar near where she lived because we didn't have an appointment until three o'clock. And we played that ping game. Remember those that, those first table tennis games? And Oh, yeah, yeah. Both, I do ping, ping pong. pong, yeah. Ping pong, yeah. Drinking cognac. So we're nice and sloshed. And we eventually <laughs> go to Brigitte Bardo's house. And we're shown into this, go upstairs into this living room. Beautiful. It was very sparse. A couple of sofas, marble, a couple of ornaments. And a spiral staircase going up and anyway so we're sitting there twiddling our thumbs you know and then suddenly we hear clip clop clip clop on the floor upstairs and then then it goes quiet and then suddenly there's a clank and a, and a high heel hits the, the top step of this spiral metal spiral staircase and starts to come down and she slowly reveals herself now she's got these six inch heels on she has what i would call a zoot suit it's, it was either 15 denier nylon or something which was one piece completely see-through and as she comes down you've got these two young kids we're young you know and you can see not only can you see her nipples but you can see every pubic hair right now we don't know where to look <laughs> you know, and michael keep michael, eye contact keep eye contact Mi no, Mi michael don't look down don't look michael down michael starts to he, when oh he got in back she did that he, on purpose he would no, it gets she would, <laughs> you think he would glow red like a tomato <laughs> oh, that's and then suddenly down the staircase comes this tall very very unattractive um frenchman who's got a brown suit and brown shoes and he sits down he kept kept calling me tiny not tony um, so Michael's oh, um, Listen, and he's got two, <laughs> two, two totally different colored socks on. They were luminous. One was a, a green luminous sock, remember those luminous socks? And one was a, um, a red luminous sock. And he's talking and Michael's talking to Bridget Bardo and he's trying to in, into it. And I swear to God, he lifted <laughs> one sheet and let out this most enormous fart. <laughs> well, we didn't know what to do. She takes no notice. Anyway. <laughs> And I, I started to, I thought I was going to choke, you know, um, and then suddenly, you know, the, the, the afternoon's coming to an end and we, you know, um, she said very nicely, she couldn't do it. She had it. She'd love to have done it. She had another commitment. She said, but, and she spoke through sort of relatively good English. She said, well, what I would like to do is I'd like to take you boys to La Capole to dinner. Ooh. And I thought, oh my God, this is heaven. This is absolutely, wow. we're going to go to La Capole with Richie Bardo and just the three of us. Yeah. And then Michael said, well, we can't. <laughs> <laughs> so she said, why not? She said, well, we've got to get the plane back. So the, the, we've got to get the train back. She no, said, I would have been well, elbowing so, so hard. She, she said, well, why have you got to get the train back? She said, well, we've got a meeting with Mick Jagger tomorrow morning at, <clears throat> at 11 o'clock. And she said, well, get the plane. And Michael said, I don't fly. So I've never forgiven Jeez. him for that. So we never had dinner in La Oh, wow. Isn't that sad? Yeah, it's very sad. Can you imagine? The, the whole thing is just, I mean, you know, it starts off with we're drunk, mm. right? Then she's naked, or yeah, almost. Pretty much. Right? Well, she, yeah. And then it's the entrance, and then yeah. there's this Frenchman, and yeah. then there's the socks, and then there's the passing of gas. Yeah. 
And then there's dinner, a, a, an opportunity for dinner in Lacapole with Brigitte It sounds Harvard. like a scene from The Man Who Fell to Earth. It's just, <laughs> just you know, bizarre. Yeah. It's like a scene from that, uh, one, the Grand Booth, the blowout. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so much color in that one little uh, yeah, I know, visit. Yeah. I've, had so, a color, I've had a colorful life. Well, speaking that's, of that's a colorful wonderful. life, uh, David Armstrong, who was your childhood crush? <laughs> There's <laughs> an actress named Jacqueline Smith. Uh -huh. <laughs> oh, God. Uh huh. Oh, I know a bit about that. That's and Roy Wagner's friend. Yes. Yes. You've met. You've met her, I think. I think so. Yeah. So tell us more about that briefly, if you'd like. You married her, did you not? I did. Mm -hmm. Yes, I did. I married her. We were married for 10 years. We have two children. And um, it, like all things, had to come to an end, you know? It happens. Yeah. Um, did you guys meet on a show? We did on a movie called Night. Oh, the other actor that I forgot to tell you was um, a truly, truly great friend of the day. I'd really great friend. We were such great friends. <coughs> um, with Robert Mitchum. Ah, nice. I got asked to do nineteen seventy nine. Wow. I got asked to do a movie. A friend of mine was going to be the line producer on a, on a, on a German tax shelter movie. They're going to shoot in uh, Arizona, and he gave me the script to read, and I read it. It was a complete piece of crap. And I said, no, I don't want to do it. And he said, well, yeah, why it be nice and warm there, you know, blah, blah, blah. And where was it going to happen? Uh, in Scottsdale, Arizona. Okay. Mm. And I said, no, no. So about three weeks later, he called me. The producer's flying through from Germany. Come and have lunch. We went and had lunch. And they offered me a bit more money, but I still, you know, in those days, I was very choosy about what I did, you know, because you could be choosy in those days because mm. you're offered lots of movies. Um, and they offered a bit, bit more money, and I said, no, no, no. And then they said, yeah, and they kept talking. I said, well, it was Who's playing the detective? And they said, Robert Mitchum. I said, I'm in. I'll be there. Because <laughs> a mate of mine worked on Ryan's Daughter with Robert Mitchum, and they became great buddies. And he said, Tony, if ever you get a chance with Bob Mitchum, you guys will get on like a house on fire. So I said, I'm in. I said, who's playing the, who's playing the girl? They said, Jacqueline Smith. I said, who's that? I said, Charlie's Angels. Well, I never watched that. That mm -hmm. was crap. You know? <laughs> um, so I went and did the movie, Stunning, and, and then, woman. and then yeah. I guess one thing led to another. But sure. my friendship, I with, guess, yeah, I guess, I guess so. something. <laughs> but my friendship with Bob was with Bob was. You've told me a great story about Robert, and I can't remember what it was. Which one, uh, Robert Mitchum? Uh, which Betty, story? The Betty Ford Center. Yes, yes, that one. Yeah. That was it. Well, even though I was never, <laughs> even though I was never sent away, I thought you know, when prior to joining, I thought I should stop drinking. I tried, and it didn't really work. So I thought I'd go. I thought I'd go to Betty Ford Center. I heard a lot about Betty Ford Center. So I checked myself into Betty Ford Center. I was married to Jack and I went in the limo, took my suits with me because I thought I was going to the finest restaurants in Palm Springs. Didn't realize that um, until I got there that it was a lockdown. Mm -hmm. Checking in, buddy. And I was you checking in and, <laughs> you know, um, and uh, one thing or another. And well, the, uh, there was three halls. It was North Hall, South Hall, and a place called McCullen Hall. So the men were in North. We were in South, and McCullen was a trial hall. It was a co-ed. So they put me in there. That was their mistake. <laughs> anyway, so the, the, my, my lot, whoever they were, were in class or group. Or they said, go to the canteen and get a late lunch. So I go to the canteen, and a hamburger. And there's a guy in the background cleaning tables, big guy with a white. And he goes out of shot, and I'm eating. But then suddenly, I feel this breathing behind me, this big, big hand grabs me on the shoulder and squeezes it fucking and I turn and before I could turn around the booming voice said 
did your bitch send you send you here too? <laughs> and I look, I look around at Bob Mitchum. Oh. I got to tell you, we have more fun in the Betty Ford than any human being should have. Oh man. <laughs> He what a, a wonderful story. He was a, yeah, he was a great guy. Yeah. Let me interview for that. That sounds uh, like a great man. script. And yeah. Boy, yeah. Did, did Bob like a drink. Yeah. I remember on that movie, because it was a, a German tax shelter movie, um, we bought a British crew because Arizona was a right-to-work state. And this old prop man called Jack Towns, and I knew, you know, I knew him from the movie business in London. And the first day of shooting, uh, we were doing something outside the set, and I said to Jack, we're in this house, and I said, Jack, 11 o'clock, I want a white one. He said, what's a white one, governor? I said, it'd be a vodka and tonic jack. And I said, in the afternoon, I'll say a brown one. And he said, what's a brown one, governor? I said, it'll be a coffee and cognac. Done. And this booming voice at the show, he said, when the kid has that, I want one too. And that was Mitchum. That's, oh. how we, That's wow. awesome. And, but Mitchum was such a great actor. You know, he drank all day long. Uh, he, he never, you know, he never fluffed his lines. Mm -hmm. The only thing you have to do is after lunch, you have to lower the key light a bit to get in his eyes because they started to close. <laughs> 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 but he, he was, a, he was a great guy. I love Bob. Totally that's, different that's time. Really and great. if anybody's yeah. wondering what that meant, lower the key light, that means his head's dipping down <laughs> and there's no light in his eyes. So the light has to go down too. You got to get the light drunk and bring it down yeah. with him. <laughs> that's funny. Well, it's yeah. been a, it's been a pleasure. I'm really glad that David... Uh, inter yeah, but you didn't ask him many questions. Well, this he, is your he, day, buddy. This is your day. This you're is your you're day, here, Tony. This yeah. is all about you. We, are, about we already you. had a wonderful interview with. No, we talked up David. a storm. Yeah. yeah. No, yeah. thanks for coming, in, Tony. No, really, great. It's really, really wonderful. It's enjoyable. I hope it's a, it's a it's a it's a great thing because it's a lot of fun. You talk about the business, talk about things you love, and yeah. talk about the good side of things yeah. and the fun side of things because movie making should be fun. I agree. Tragically, it's not anymore. Everybody's yeah. so fucking serious. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you have to be serious when you shoot, but I mean, it's not like, it's not fucking brain surgery, mm -hmm. is it? It's, you know, it's, it's we're not saving lives, but they act it. Yeah. Yeah. Man. People act I, like I, we're saving I lives. I actually had, a, uh, I lost a client once. To what? To that, saying that. It's like, um, oh. I, I forget what his name was, so it, it'll be Jason today. <laughs> um, well, Jason, you know, I'm glad you called. Let's take a look at what you got going on. And it was this little short that they were trying to raise money for to get to the feature and so on. And it was it was well done. And I, I said to him, I said, well, it sounds to me like you got a good head on your shoulders and you realize we're just making a movie. Right. That was mm. that. Did you hear that? Mm -hmm. That's what it was on the other line. He was way more serious. He about it was than like, you. "This is my no, life." No, 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 no. I kept waiting for it. <laughs> yeah, what was the response? <laughs> Silence. Yeah. Silence. He said, "Well, thanks for your time, Michael, and uh, we'll be seeing you." And that he had a it. life to go save. Yeah, he did. Making a short. Yeah, that's it. That's that's. It doesn't need to be that serious. I agree. None I, of it I'm, does. Nothing I'm in creation Tony. needs I'm to be Tony that here. serious. You got yeah. to have some. So that's, different, but also, you know, it's a different group of people coming in the business now. You know, yeah. and, um, there's no characters. You know, even even Roy was a character. Yes. You know, was a character. Yeah. And he's, you know, but there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Gentlemen, thank you for yeah, having me. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks, Tony. And, Thanks, uh, guys. Yeah. We'll talk to you soon, David. Yeah. I'm sure. And uh, and Tony, David's going to so be our repeat offender. Absolutely. <laughs> well, good. You're going to bring. You should bring somebody. In. You know, Ian Yatsu. <laughs> All right. Later. See you. Bye, guys. Bye. Thank you very much. It was a lot of fun. <laughs>